1892 and we're at a remote cattle station on the border of Western Australia and the Northern Territory. A card game is happening. One player holds a revolver. The other fetches his rifle. Shots are fired and one man is left dead. The other will hang. Meanwhile, in South Australia, a far more heinous crime is being committed. The assault and murder of a 15-year-old girl by her uncle. But this killing will have a very different outcome. Now, what you're about to hear is a story that's been uh, painstakingly recreated by our next guest, Don Christofferson. He's an historian and cultural researcher. He's the author of A Little Bit of Justice, the story of Charlie Flanagan, the first man to be executed in the NT. Uh, Don is a descendant of the First Nations language group of the Coburg Peninsula and Kakadu National Park. And I should warn you that Don's research contains extensive archival material from newspapers at the time, which uh, used language that is often, uh, well, it is offensive to Aboriginal and Asian people. Uh, we use it only to illustrate the nature of the discussion and uh, the attitudes of the epoch, attitudes which I must say continue to reverberate as we approach a certain referendum. Don is making his debut on the Little Wireless program from Darwin, and I welcome him. Don, how did you come across this story? I understand you were uh, looking into the life of Wandy. Yeah, that's right, Philip. Um the second man to be executed, his his name was Wandy Wandy, and uh, he would be executed exactly ten days after Charlie Flanagan. So I, I was looking at his story because I'd heard his story. I guess since the um, early eighties, um, people were telling this oral history, and I wanted to find out more about him. So as um, the digital age crept up on us. And we were able to access newspapers from all over. And um, so I started tracking um, who Wandy Wandy was. And then Flanagan's um, name was in the in the fold with Wandy Wandy. And uh, they were in the prison at the same time. Um, like I said, uh, 10 days apart, uh, their executions would take place. Now, Wandy Wandy was one of eight Aboriginal men found guilty of the Bowen Strait murders. Tell me about that. Yeah, the um, it was um, six um, Makassan men from Indonesia, and uh, they'd run ashore, and uh, eight Aboriginal men were rounded up to help them carry all their gear to a certain place, and uh, in the um, walking of that, from A to B, um, the six um, Indonesians were killed. And um, it wasn't always this romantic version of um, Indonesians and Aboriginal people working hand in hand. There was, there were issues um, many times, lives were taken. So yeah, the eight men were rounded up and Wandi Wandi was one of them. But seven of the condemned would uh, have their sentences commuted. 
Yeah, that's right. Well, they were going to hang the lot and uh, the newspaper article at the time um, uses um, the headline, uh, a hanging carnival. And um, people started writing in saying, we're going to hang this many people. You, you know, you've got to be joking. So they were talking about hanging um, eight plus Flanagan and another young guy from Daly River. The guy from Daly River, they said, well, he's too young. Flanagan, we're definitely going to hang, and uh, well, we may we might just hang the four out of the eight, and then it got to two, and then it got to one, right at the end, and it was uh, Wandy Wandy that would um, go to the gallows. Now, before and, he was hanged, Wandy and a number of other Aboriginal men incarcerated in Fanny Bay, in Darwin, had their drawings collected and exhibited in Melbourne by the Deputy Sheriff. An extraordinary story. Yeah, um, John George Knight, and uh, he he was an architect and he saw drawings on the wall in charcoal and he, he was um, given the task of um, taking exhibitions to Melbourne in 1888 for the centenary and he thought, oh, well, we'll, we'll get some of these guys if they're interested to do some drawings. So he gave them pen and paper, red, blue and black, and uh, away they went and they did some extraordinary images and uh, a set of uh, 24 drawings were completed and they were put into panels and um, they were taken to um, Melbourne for the centenary and they ended up finding their way into the Adelaide Museum where Charlie Flanagan's drawings also were. This John George Knight is an interesting bloke. I want to read something he wrote. Let not the critic mock their art grotesque, their pigments few and drawing incorrect. I tell you that this work is picturesque and for it praise unstinted, I expect. Not a bad review. Yeah, I, I, I don't know where the where he got that from, but uh, whether he made it up himself, um, his own own work, or he took it from somewhere else, um, you know. But um, yeah, he was uh, quite a thoughtful bloke, and uh, he, he did a lot of good things around Darwin for for all people of um, the city. Now, your research into Wandy Wandy leads you to Charlie Flanagan. Who is Charlie? Well, Charlie Flanagan's this young man who's uh, Aboriginal and uh, he rides with a guy called um, Buchanan, Nathaniel Buchanan and also his son Gordon and uh, they're bringing cattle from Queensland into the Northern Territory and into WA for the gold fields and um, other projects and um, he rides with them bringing cattle across and so if I could just read what... Um, Gordon Buchanan says about um, Flanagan, he was dangerously temperamental as half-castes frequently are, yet he had some good qualities. He would do anything for Nat Buchanan, old Bluey, but often resented orders from others. Alternately morose or jocular, he seemed to feel generally the inhibitions of his caste. He was a fair horseman and stockman and an expert in the drafting yards and branding pen. Illiterate, uh, but fairly well-spoken. He seldom swore. One day on a droving trip while riding slowly back and forward behind a big mob of cattle, he said to me, looking at these cattle, give me a pain in the neck. 
I think that was a bit of um, a okay. bit, bit, of, bit of license there. Yeah. Well, he, he gets around a bit, but he, he goes to the Territory to work on cattle stations, including the famous Wave Hill. Yeah, he was there in 83 when it started off. Buchanan had the, had the property then. And uh, so, yeah, he was there to bring cattle and uh, help set it up. And I suspect uh, Flanagan was... Um, in his drawings, he's so interested in architecture. You can see it the way he draws the um, buildings. Uh, he knows what he's doing. He loves architecture. Well, and for the moment, let's focus on his love of horses because uh, in 1887, he heads to Darwin to race in the Palmerston Cup. How did he go, Don? Well, he had four rides in the in the Cup and... Um, in those days, they'd run a horse um, in several races on the day. So he had two horses, one called Goodbye and one called Signet. And um, he wins both races on Goodbye. And um, they enter Signet in the hurdle and um, uh, it pulls up lame, misses a jump, pulls up lame. And uh, they reckon, well, that said, it's not going to run very well in the cup. But miraculously, it uh, finds its legs again and um, I'll, I'll just read the running of the cup another very good start set the field going for the big money the Catherine horse Signet getting a slight advantage passing the post the first time round Signet was leading with Hilltop second Joker third Duke of Manchester fourth and No Name last about a length separating each horse when a mile had been got over the positions were the same Signet drawing away and Joker and the Colt drawing up to Hilltop. But at this point, No Name bolted from the track. Coming into the straight for home, Joker was seen to having collared Hilltop and was making gamely for the leader. But the chestnut had too much foot, independent of whip and spur, and he finished a length and a half ahead. Hilltop a length away. Third, uh, Duke of Manchester fourth, time two minutes, 56 seconds. You know, you could have another career, Don, as a race caller. That was terrific. I felt we were there. Well, that's one of the things, like, I could have said, um, regurgitated all this material that I'd found, but I wanted people to read what was written on the day. And um, you know, I've had people say, you know, that's amazing. Um, it feels like you're back in time reading all this material. Not only the newspaper articles, but the telegrams, the letters, the documents, and I've compiled them all together in chronological order and um, let people work it out themselves what's going on. I, as we talk, I'm looking at a drawing that uh, Charlie later drew while on death row in Fanny Bay, and it shows him, uh, it depicts his win, and it's very lively. Yeah, well, there's a number of horses um, that you see um, at full gallop or full stretch. And uh, one of the things that I found, I, I had to understand his story to understand his drawings. And um, and uh, it was putting them all together. And uh, the work that I did was with the South Australian Museum. And they were very generous in giving me access to all the images and um in turn, I gave them the story for Flanagan and um, it, it was pulling the, all this material together um, helps you understand what was happening with Flanagan and his drawings and um, he's telling his life story in drawings. His literacy wasn't that great but he could draw and he's telling his story um, in drawings. 
1892, Charlie turns up at the Auvergne station near the near WA asking for work and now he's going by the alias McManus. Why? I haven't been able to work that out. They, they call him uh, Flanagan, alias McManus. We tried checking with the Queensland Library um, for material on, uh, on Flanagan, but it's too early, too early on. So we weren't able to find uh, much information. But um, it's after he won the cup, he owns his own horses, he owns his own saddle and rifle, and uh, he's good at what he does, which is uh, making um, stockyards and building um, houses, yeah. And at this place, at the station, the station manager is uh, Sam Croker, and they've met before at Wave Hill. Uh, yeah, these guys would have rode together. They knew each other, and uh, apparently he had offered him a job. A couple of weeks' work building a stockyard, so that was um, Charlie's work to get him by. Now, Croker had previously been involved in... Uh, in frontier killings of other First Nation people, hadn't he? Well, yeah, that's there's a little bit of information on that. I reckon that they shot a man at Wave Hill, but um, I, I haven't found any of that stuff myself, but it's in other books, yeah. Don, take us to the night of September the 20th, <laughs> 1892. Yeah, so Flanagan's been there for about a week and a half, there's a Chinese cook called Joe Awa. Um, there's another guy, another um, European stockman called um, John McPhee and, of course, um, Sam Croker. Now, uh, Joe Awa and uh, Flanagan are partners in Cribbage and uh, they're playing for sticks of tobacco. The um, cards that are dealt and uh, Flanagan says, oh, i got 12. 12 scored, and his partner says, no, no, count them up again, you got 14. And um, it's here that Sam Croker says, yeah, you dumb, you dumb bastard, count them up. And uh, Flanagan stands up and is insulted by the comments and uh, because there's been things going on between them. And um, he jumps up and he says, well, let's go outside me and you and uh, we'll have a punch up and we'll settle it man man on man and uh, Croker says well I, I can't fight but I got a pistol and um, he gets up and runs for his pistol Flanagan runs for his rifle and he gets to the rifle first and he puts one into um, the running uh, Croker and uh, he's a dead man um, but Flanagan's so incensed he reloads and puts another one into uh, Croker. Now, um, John McPhee would testify, or will testify, that Charlie said to him, that old bastard had done me a lot of harm and that uh, Croker has carried a revolver for a fortnight for the purpose of killing me. Yeah. There was bullying going on, you know. There was some sort of bullying. They had background, both these guys, and uh, they didn't like each other. And uh, it came to a head that night playing cards. Now, the men help, uh, help Charlie bury Croker the next day and uh, Charlie reportedly said, Well, old fella, I've had uh, the pleasure of sewing you up 
instead of you sewing me up. So even after death, no love lost. No, and um, w- what he's talking about sewing him up is um, the, every man had their own blanket and that was used as a shroud and you'd sew, a, you'd sew the body into the, into the uh, blanket and uh, they rolled him into a piece of corrugated iron and uh, tied it all up like a makeshift coffin and put him in the ground out there and uh, he's still there today in that same uh, grave. Now, the blokes that helped Charlie bury Croker uh, escape on horseback, but a few days later, he hands himself in and he's taken to Fanny Bay Jail. Uh, Well, what happens was um, Flanagan rides off into the distance and um, he becomes melancholy and guilt-wracked and uh, remorseful about what's taken place and he um, rides across to Halls Creek and it, it takes him uh, a, a week or so and he gets to Wyndham and hands himself over to the police. The police in WA notify the Northern Territory Police and uh, they send a, a trooper over. He's arrested and then brought to Darwin. Joe Wa, the, the Chinese cook, and uh, others will give evidence at that trial. So there's a, a fair amount stacking up against him. Yeah, there's um, three witnesses, Barney and another Aboriginal guy and um, uh, McPhee and Joe Awa, and they all basically give the same story. But when asked in court, Flanagan replies, yeah, not guilty. And they said, well, tell us why you did it. And he says, um, I'm not saying nothing. No, that's a paradox, isn't it? He pleads not guilty, yet refuses to defend himself. I guess the thing is that um, he assumed that he would um, probably get manslaughter, but um, that was never going to happen. And he had a lawyer. There was a lawyer assigned to him, and he basically told the lawyer um, not to um, enter any um, evidence on his behalf. He didn't want to say anything. So clearly he felt remorse. Absolutely, and uh, whether it was um, some form of um, uh, death wish that he had and he was going to pay for it with his life, the life he took, he'd repay it with his own. You're listening to LNL and uh, my guest is Don Christofferson. Don's an historian and cultural researcher and the author of A Little Bit of Justice, the story of Charlie Flanagan. So off Charlie goes to uh, await his fate. Fanny Bay Jail is pretty much a hell on earth and, well, he's in solitary confinement there for 10 months. But during the time he's shackled, he gets to start doing these extraordinary drawings. Can you describe them to me, Don? I saw them for the first time and um, the South Australian Museum sent me five of them and um, I was sort of gobsmacked and I thought, well, yeah, they're amazing looking um, drawings. Um, Quite naive, um, obviously self-taught, but um, I realised quite early on that he was drawing his um, segments of his life. eh? Telling his life by drawings. Yeah, and I th- I thought there was only five, and then I quickly realised again the, um, that there was more, and I said there's forty, and then 
No, there isn't. There's 80. They're double-sided. And uh, then the trick was to decipher what he was drawing. And uh, that was like the treasure hunt inside the story was to understand what he was drawing. And uh, and because was... paper was precious, he's drawing on both sides of the sheets. Yeah. Okay, we're going to head down to South Australia in this story now because uh, one month before Charlie uh, hangs, a bloke by the name of George Page is also facing a murder charge. Tell us about him, Don, and his murder. Yeah, well, he came from uh, Port Lincoln and uh, the young lady that he uh, killed was his niece, who was also from Port Lincoln, and um, he had unhealthy um, feelings for her and she didn't reciprocate, so he took it out on the, um, the young lady and, and shot her. Uh, he handed himself into the police and basically everyone in town knew he was going to hang. But uh, for some rhyme or reason, uh, they gave him a reprieve and uh, he'd spend uh, a good part of the rest of his life in, uh, in jail. Now, the story becomes important because the two cases, that of Charlie and that of George Page, become the focus of quite furious public and parliamentary debate. Yeah, that's right. And uh, they keep putting up the two cases and they're saying, uh, well, Flanagan, um, in the heat of the moment, shot a man and uh, wasn't premeditated or anything. It was um, a case of... uh, uh, rage, if you like, and uh, whereas with um, George Page, he uh, had worked out that he was going to take her life and um, Page got a reprieve and Flanagan didn't. So when Page's sentence was commuted, people were, were quite outraged and there was a delegation of citizens with a petition to the South Australian government for equal treatment of the two men. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a number of people were writing in and saying this isn't right. Uh, We should treat all people um, with the same amount of uh, care and uh, um, diligence to the law and uh, if one, this guy's going to get off, well, this guy should get off too. Now, on uh, the eve of uh, Charlie's execution, that's Friday the 14th of July, 1893, the Evening Journal Adelaide, in Adelaide uh, reports the uh, parliamentary debate. And interestingly, the issue of whether Aboriginal people should have had should be hanged when their, when their crimes were often committed in the name of uh, protecting their women as opposed to George Page who murdered one in cold blood. Yeah, um, with um, Flanagan, um, he was going to be the first Aboriginal person to be executed in the Northern Territory and South Australia in 30 years. So people in South Australia realised and, uh, look, we're killing these guys and um, the men that we're killing is um, people who are protecting their country, their family and their wives and we can't kill people who are protecting their family. And um, so, yeah, that, that stopped executing Aboriginal people for 30 years. All to no avail in the sense that Charlie is hanged just after 9am on the 15th of July 
and the reaction was swift. And uh, there was a, a very strong statement by Labor MP Thomas Smeaton. And he says this, Flanagan is hanged and one of the gross mistakes that a government could make has been perpetrated. In the first place, if we, if we concede a patriotic motive to these men, we certainly ought to take that into consideration in the light of their laws as well as of ours. Any other course is one-sided and unjust. And in the second place, any schoolboy knows that civilised nations neither hang nor shoot prisoners of war. And he makes the point that Flanagan is essentially, yes, a prisoner of war. Yes, Meaton uh, rode in and he, he couldn't believe that it had taken place and he thought that the discussions in Parliament um, had uh, given Flanagan a reprieve and uh, but it was not to be. You see, the reason... Flanagan was going to be executed. It wasn't about justice. It was all about revenge. That's just the way they wanted to set an example and Flanagan was the perfect guy to be that um, example because he offered no defence, made it even easier. And history tells us, or you tell us, that Charlie held his head up high when he was executed. Yeah, he stepped out like it was... um, He was going to his freedom, the journalist writes, and... um, He stands on the gallows and uh, he says, look, I don't know where I'm going, whether I'm going to have wings on looking over you or whether I'll be a stoker in hell. And uh, on the day um, of his execution, he steps up to the gallows and basically says, "Um, I'm sorry for the life I led. I hope it's going to be all right where I'm going. So he he was a man who had uh, beliefs in um, the afterlife and... uh, the priest uh, Millican spent all night with him, and uh, he uh, was executed just in front of the infirmary, and then uh, that's where he he saw his final moments, nine o'clock in the morning. After all your research, how do you reflect on on Charlie's life and death, and the debate it brought about uh, regarding equal treatment? Yeah, well, when I started off, I'm um, looking at all the material and um, I, I had this idea of, yeah, I know where this is going to go, but I, I didn't count on all the people that were writing in saying, this ain't right what we're doing. And um, there were so many people, um, not only for Flanagan, but for the other men who were about to be executed on the gallows, um, which was um, the... Uh, Iwaja men from Widwandiwandi and that's what saved um, many of them was people writing in saying we, we cannot execute this number of men and uh, so it was only two that would be executed, Flanagan and Wandiwandi. What a story. I've had the privilege of talking to Don Christofferson an historical and cultural researcher, the author of A Little Bit of Justice, the story of Charlie Flanagan, the first man to be executed in the NT. Now, Don has a couple of talks coming up and a ceremony to mark 130 years to the to the day since uh, Charlie Flanagan's execution on the 15th of July 
and a smoking ceremony will be held as well at Fanny Bay Jail in Darwin. Good on you, mate. Thanks, Philip. Don Christofferson, historical and cultural researcher and the author of A Little Bit of Justice, the story of Charlie Flanagan, the first man to be executed in the NT. It's a self-published work. And in addition to Don's talk in the NT, if you're uh, in South Australia, you can see an exhibition of Charlie's drawings at the SA Museum until September. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. 